been on before uh, and has been such a uh, such a powerful impact person to impact my life and my growth and just relationally as a friend. So welcome Bishop Jamie Unglehart. So good to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's an honor. Yeah, it's it's really it's really fun. You know, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with Jamie, just get get out stuff to write. Uh, he is a font of knowledge and wisdom and anointing and it just flows but we thought we'd talk today a little bit about um about uh fear and love and how those don't coexist and uh, repainting uh the face of god and all of that so jamie what what's on your heart with that yeah well again first of all thanks for for having me it's always uh, always a joy uh, to be able to spend time with you. And of course, you know, in the past, I've been able to spend time some with your family too. And yeah. I haven't got out to the Springs now in a couple of years. It's, it's been a minute. So it has, uh, we've well, missed you, but we just uh, have well, to fly out to see you. Yeah, well, see, well, and you know, and I'm, and it was great that you were able to come to the conference this year and, yeah, and, uh, and connect with everybody. It was awesome. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah uh, w- one of the things we talked about just a little bit before I came um, uh, and, and people that, have been in services that I travel because, of course, uh, this is my 33rd year, you know, traveling full time, uh, you know, all over the world. Uh, that, that's kept me decently busy, to say the least. But especially for about the last 12 years or so, that other than doing like because I oversee a network of churches and ministers and ministries, other than doing like apostolic ministry, like setting elders in or ordaining people or something like that, that most of my assignment in traveling and preaching and imparting into churches is mainly twofold. Number one, to remove all fear-based doctrine and theology, because fear and love cannot coexist. They're, they're, you know, I, I used to think the opposite of love was hate. You know, the truth mm-hmm. is the opposite of love is fear because perfect love removes all fear. But that also lets me know if love removes fear, fear then also can remove love. So people that have been raised in fear-based theology, which of course, uh, you know, right now, uh, one thing that major universities that have psychology programs and, and training of therapists, they're coming up with whole new like classes now on, on religious trauma therapy. Uh, you know, I mean, they're, yeah, they're so actually needed, called, but so sad that it's needed. Yeah. Yeah. They're actually calling it religious PTSD uh, and yeah. it's people that have been raised with uh, high intensity, law-based, fear-based ideas about God that are, are extremely confusing. You know, it's like, you know, I, I tell people, you know, I mean, I, I'm a third generation on one side of my family, second on the other. And growing up in church as a preacher's kid, and I remember six, seven years old going to Sunday school. One Sunday, they teach you, you know, the song, loves the little children, all the children the world. Red, black, and white, they're all precious in his sight. And then the next Sunday, the story of Noah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, wipe out well, those little children. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh loves God. all the little children, but he just drowned all those poor little bastards. You know, I mean, oh it's, 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 you know, 
and, and I don't think we think sometimes of kind of the, the, the trauma and messed up view of God that releases. And Jews to this day teach Genesis, you know, they, they, they teach it as a narrative. It's, it's a, a story behind a story. It's not, you know, trying to get exact. I mean, I read something the other day that was so interesting to me, you know, because, and to be honest with you, I'd never thought of this before. I mean, it was one of those things to where I was like, how come, how come I never had that thought? And it was an article where they, they showed that God did not turn Lot's wife into a literal chunk oh. of sodium. Yeah. Okay? I've heard like, didn't, I mean, yeah. I mean, think of this. I mean, just because someone missed her friends and her wow. look back, you become a chunk of salt. Right. I mean, I mean, can That's we see God Jesus? I want to follow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, can we see Jesus doing that? But once you understand that someone being turned into a pillar of salt was a euphemism. It was mm-hmm. it was ancient Near East language of describing someone who has a hard time letting the past go. Oh. So it, it's not necessarily, you know, and again, our problem is, you know, when we try to literalize Hebrew scriptures, especially, yeah. there's more than 300 figures of, scri- of speech in the Bible. It's right. full of hyperbole. It's full of idioms. It's full of of metaphor and allegory. And, and, and we try to literalize this stuff right. because we're right. pretty much raised in most of our evangelical churches being taught. The Bible is what it says. Right. Right. You know, and you just believe it literally. And that gets so confusing because it's like bad. I said, as a, as a little boy, I remember sitting there thinking he loves all the little children, but he drowned all those kids. Right. You know, I mean, it, it, it just didn't, you know, even back then as a little child, that was confusing. And and a pure heart child is like, has the honesty to say there's something wrong here. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I I always tell the story about uh, when I was nine years old, my dad, who was a pastor, we had a, a prophecy revival and it went like Sunday to Sunday, every morning of classes, every evening. And he pulled out all of his dispensational Darby charts and, you know, the mark of the beast. And I mean, you know, it was pretty terrifying stuff, but then he leaves on Monday the next week, but on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, uh, my, we show those movies uh, from the seventies, oh, no. thief in the night, a distant oh, no. thunder, the mark of the beast. Oh, and no. you know, it was terrifying stuff. Yeah, His heads are getting chopped off. Oh, and, geez. you know, I mean, it's to a nine-year-old I'm freaking out. So anyway, on Friday, we're having a family dinner and my dad looks across the table and he said, so son, uh, what do you think about all that? Like over the last, you know, 10 days. Now right. this was my nine-year-old brain. Okay? Right. This is why we inherit the kingdom as children. All right. We, yeah. You know, we we're the, the inheriting of the kingdom is learning how to be childlike without being childish. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's that simplicity. Mm-hmm. But I looked at my dad and I said, well, dad, what I got from it is we that prayed the right prayer. Uh, we get to go to heaven with Jesus for seven years and have a party, sip right. some tea and lemonade while all of our family and friends have their heads chopped off. Then oh, at the end yeah. of seven years, you know, and I was like, I'm not interested. You know, uh, I mean, I, 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 I didn't want anything, anything to do with that whatsoever. I was like, no, thank you. Right. You know? And so that was my nine-year-old brain thinking, wait a minute. Jesus tells us to love our enemies, but he's going to come back like Rambo and slaughter all of his. I know. I mean, it, it, it oh, just, it, it never Forgive lined up. Give our enemies so, that we're going to slaughter them. 
Ah. Right. I mean, well, it, it's pretty much Jesus saying, do what I say, not as I do. Exactly. Which exactly. that never works with children. So, I mean, for us that are the children of God, mm-hmm. it never works for, you know, a, a parent uh, or even an, an, an older brother or sister to tell us to do something that they don't do at all. Exactly. And so it, it's amazing how, you know, I've run into so many people because of being raised in that fear, mm-hmm. their view of God is messed up, you know, and I, I've been sharing this lately as I've, I've traveled to, I, I genuinely believe that we should remove, now I'm, you know, I'm, I, I've already been attacked for this and, you know, I'm used to it. So, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I believe we should, I believe we should remove from our Bibles the phrase, the fear of the Lord. Because the idea of fear mm-hmm. and love, because God, God is light, life, and love. The only nouns for God you know, are in First John. Every other description of God is pretty much an adjective. And exactly. so who God is in his person and character is light, life, and love. Mm-hmm. And none of those things does fear exist with. Because exactly. the word fear, it, you know, if you look in the, in the, at the translation of those words in Hebrew and Greek, mm-hmm. yeah, terror is one of them, but it's also awe. It's also honor. It's also respect. So why do these translators choose the word fear? Yeah. Right. Fear, choose mm-hmm. the word terror because mm-hmm. that was their own bias and their own view of God. Because people think, well, but you, you've got to have the whole counsel of God. I get that told that all the time. You can't just teach God is love. You also got to teach that God is God is holy and God is righteous. And I'm like, well, of course he is. He's but holy, his holiness righteous is righteous. righteous. <laughs> like yeah. our adjectives yeah. that are there to further describe the noun, which is light, life, and love. Of course. And so, you know, for us to have this crazy idea that, you know, any child that is terrified of their parent, that's called a dysfunctional family. Exactly. You know, I mean, I mean, when my mom used to even say, you know, well, when your father gets home, you know, when I knew I was in trouble. Yeah, there was a there was an awe in me. There was an honor. There was definitely a respect. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't terrified of my dad because I knew right. my dad wasn't going to harm me. I knew I was going to probably get a spanking. Right. You know, but but that wasn't to harm me. Right. You know, and so th- this idea of of fear and Lord yeah. in, in the same context, uh, I'm, I'm just not, you know, I mean, one of the seven spirits of God in Isaiah is the fear of the Lord. The only time you really see the word fear of the Lord in the New Testament mm-hmm. is in Hebrews, where it calls it the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Right. So it's not just the fear of the Lord, but the spirit of the fear mm-hmm. of the Lord, which is, again, one of those seven dimensions or spirits of God. Right. Mm-hmm. But even then, I'm, I think fear is a horrible word to use. I think awe makes a whole lot more sense anyway, because we should be in awe of God. He's awesome. He's 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 righteous. He is holy. He's holy means other. He's other than. In other words, he's 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 greater than. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. And yeah, we should have that. But anytime anytime fear comes in, yeah. love goes out the door because fear and love cannot coexist. When when fear um, and love are, you know, and I love I heard Danny Silk say this years ago. That fear and love have been at war for thousands of years. Right. I mean, that's that's really a lot of the the main struggle. But when you're taught a lot of fear-based doctrines, 
mm-hmm. you know, such as the idea of the fear of the Lord mm-hmm. uh, or things like uh, uh, dispensationalism or futurism or the rapture. Uh, you know, a lot of our end time stuff mm-hmm. is very fear-based. It is. And it, it's not, it's really love-based. It's, uh, it's many times not victorious. I know I always have people that are futurists tell me, oh no, it's, you know, it's victorious. I'm like, not really. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if, if I, like I said, when I was nine years old for a nine year old to say, I'm not interested at all in coming right. back with Jesus, you know. I put up a post here on Facebook uh, or social media a day or two ago, you know, because I, I turned on Christian TV back here a couple weeks ago when I was at my parents and they've got like eight or nine stations. I only have like right. one and I, I rarely turn it on because it ends up frustrating me more than helping me. Right. And uh, it was like every program I turned on as I went from one station to the other, it was something about Gog and Magog or, you know, oh, the, no. the, the, the ancient gods are returning, you know, like, like Molech is coming back oh. again. And oh, wow. I, yeah. I mean, just, I don't it, know what Jesus did on that cross. I don't know what happened. Uh, <laughs> All his stuff. You, don't, you don't even want to get me started, you know, but I mean, you know, it, but, but it's along those lines of oh, Gog and Magog, you know, the, I mean, one guy preached a whole sermon on how excited he was that the river Euphrates is drying up. Uh-huh. Because you know, there's a passage in the Old Testament that talks about you know these kings of the east that come, and the river Euphrates dries up, and they're like, "That's this billion man Chinese army that's going to march to the, the 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 Battle of Armageddon." Uh-huh. And you know, and I just put out I, I put out there online. I said, "Have we thought any of this through?" First of all, we're in the 21st century. Nobody marches with millions of horses, right? And, and by the way, China, Israel is four thousand miles. Okay. And right. so imagine a billion man army <laughs> My God. on horses go, having to Pakistan, part of India, right. Afghanistan, Iraq, and Iran. I mean, first of all, are the, you think those nations are just going to say, go on ahead, you know, just march through and trample down a bunch of our natural resources. And right. then don't anything, the United Nations isn't going to say anything. Right. Right. I mean, you know, and and because we live in the 21st century, we now have planes that can drop soldiers in, you know, or or ships that can drop run them to shore. I mean, right. we don't march 4000 miles anymore. I mean, you know, and then then the other messages were Gog and Magog, you know, Russia, the bear of the north, and they're going to come down and join the Chinese army, in the Valley of Armageddon. And I'm like, it's thirty five hundred miles from the tip of Russia. To Jerusalem, you got to go through like four or five nations. I mean, right? Some of this, there's just no common sense with it. Yeah. Rather than listen, those were verses that had fulfillments already in the past. Yeah, and they're not in our future. And all it does is this incredible fear, and people start hurting, and they start doing all of this other kind of stuff. But our a lot of our end time stuff. I mean, I I still remember the day. As a matter of fact, it was after when I was nine, after that whole teaching, about two months later, I school because school started in the fall. I came home from school. My mom and dad weren't at the house. So I got a little nervous, you know, thinking I missed the rapture. But then the church was next door. So yeah. I ran to the church. But sometimes they're over there. And I run through the church screaming, mom and dad, well, there was nobody there. Now yeah. I'm panicking. Oh, no. And so I go to the church office and I go through the Rolodex and I call. And, of course, there was no caller ID. Uh, there was, you know, hardly anybody back then even had like uh, uh, voice messages, you know, where you could right. uh, you could leave. 
And so it rains like 10 times. And so I'm freaking out, thinking I missed the rapture. All of a sudden, Beulah answers. You know, and I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Because I knew if Beulah was still there, then I was good. You're safe. You know? You're yeah. Safe. And, you know, but I mean, I look back, I look back on a lot of that. And I'm like, you know, what a horrible way to live as a child. You know, and I'm so grateful. And, and, and I tell people this all the time. I don't. You know, because there's a lot of things I've, I mean, I've, I've preached a different eschatology for 25 years right. and been kicked out of churches for it, movements, uh, denominations and everything else for it. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't preach and teach it for my prosperity. Right. Because the truth is, if I'd have kept my mouth shut 20 years ago, I'd probably, truth is, I'd probably have a lot more money. You'd be having uh, your programs on these things and making a lot of money. Sorry. It's true. <laughs> and, you know, because the sad thing is, is fear sells. I mean, it, it just does. Yeah. But, um, you know, what, what, I, what I had to realize is that I'm not teaching this for my prosperity, but for my posterity. Yeah. That I don't, my children and my grandchildren don't know anything about that God. Thank I mean, God. You know, when, when I bring up, I mean, I, I still remember the day my daughter, I think, was about nine or 10 years old. And we were preaching a conference in Indiana. And the man who preached the night before me was an old fashioned hellfire and brimstone preacher. Oh, no. And of course, my kids had heard me talk about it, but mm-hmm. they'd never experienced it. Right. And so, you know, the, the service gets over. We go up to the hotel room and my daughter, Brittany, she climbs up in my lap. She she says to me, she said, Daddy, that man that spoke tonight has problems. And I said, <laughs> I was like, well, what do you mean, I- sissy? And she <laughs> said, he believes that our Jesus, who tells us to not render evil for evil, to love our enemies, mm-hmm. is going to is going to fry and torture all of his. Mm. And she said, Daddy, wouldn't, wouldn't that make Jesus a bit of a liar and a hypocrite? And to be honest with you, at that moment, at that time, I'd not really thought about it. You know, I mean, I'd changed my whole eschatology to where there was no fear base in my end time anymore. Right. But, you know, and 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 I never really preached a eternal torment hell right. because it didn't make sense to me. Right. That torture and love and justice don't line up. I mean, they just don't. But but that really caused me then to go on a journey, uh, you know, that I think with my eschatology, I started about uh, 28 years ago. And up to this time, I've read, I think, over 70 books on eschatology, studied every view. But wow. then, you know, now when she said that, she was nine. She, so it was almost 20 years ago because she's just turned 29. That uh, That started me on a journey of then studying our ideas of hell. You know, and I'm like, well, so glad what are we gonna, yeah, what are we going to believe about that? Because, you know, do, do do we really believe that all the good kids get to go upstairs, but then daddy's got a basement, you know, where he takes out all of his anger because he's still got this one side of him, you know, and, and, and none of it, none of it lines up with love. No, it doesn't even line up with justice because our justice would say that, you know, right. our justice wouldn't be Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. We would call 10,000 angels and say, take them out. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, right. I'm being crucified unjustly, sick them, daddy. Right. But God's justice, according to Zechariah 7, verse 9, he said, practice true justice, declares the Lord, which is mercy and compassion. So God's idea of justice is not retributive. It's restorative. It it's, it's, it's always a heart of, of reconciliation, of restoration, of bringing his wayward ones. I love I think it's 2 Samuel 14, 14, where God says, uh, says, thus says the Lord, I, the Lord, never take life. Yeah. Never take life. I mean, literally he says in the Old Testament through Samuel, he never takes life. 
but he devises ways to bring his wayward ones home. And so, you know, Samuel says that God's whole heart is not to take life, but to actually come up with ways to bring wayward ones back into the fold. And so that then started me on a journey of, okay, if the two main fears that I was raised with mm-hmm. was the rapture and hell, right? Um, then, you know, I, I probably need to look at these two things maybe in a different way. And what's crazy is, you know, and, and of course, uh, you know, I, I have a five and a half hour e-course on my website on, on the last days. I have a six hour e-course on hell called what the hell. I love it. And, you know, and it's kind of a description. I really go into the history of where we get all this stuff from. And most of it doesn't even come from the Old Testament. I mean, you know, you go to the Old Testament and Job actually says that that hell or Sheol, the grave is Mm -hmm. what it actually translated, is a place of rest and peace from your enemies. Wow. You know, Ezekiel actually says that that Sheol or hell is a place of flowing rivers. Wow. You know, and I'm like rivers of fire. I mean, you know, that's how I was right. I mean, (laughs) I, I actually remember... Uh, plant back in Michigan when we started it almost 12 years ago now. I think it was our second year, and I was up preaching a sermon. And I, I said to everybody in the church, I said, If the only reason you came to Jesus mm-hmm. was to escape fire, right? And you might, you might want to go to hell rather than heaven because there's no context of fire and hell mm-hmm. in the Bible, right? The closest one is in Revelation where it says, Death. And hell are cast into the lake of fire. So right. hell's thrown into fire. It's not. Right. It's not fire. It's oh, actually not fire. fire. Yes. And and so and I said, but over a hundred and ten times it talks about fire in heaven. Right. Like God is a consuming fire. That both, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel says there's a river of fire that flows from the throne of God. He's a consuming fire. He baptized you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He comes with a refiner's fire and a fuller. So there's fire all over heaven. So I'm right. like, if you're right. trying to escape fire, you might want to go to hell. <laughs> and of course, you know, everybody looked at me like I was half crazy. Uh, you know, but, but once I explained it, they're like, oh, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. Right. But, but, but again, that is the numero uno fear. Yeah. In sure. most people's lives. Sure. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, if, I mean, I literally used to teach, you know, if you don't tithe, you're going to hell, you know, right. I mean, if you don't show up to every service. You know, I mean, if you're not praying every day, I mean, everything, just, everything sent you there. bondage. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. And, yeah. and the crazy thing is, is in the Old Testament, there's not one example in the Old Testament until you get to like Daniel, which was which they'd already started to be uh, uh, back then. Ju- the uh, Judaism had started to already be affected because they'd been in Babylon by by other religions, but there was no concept of punishment in the afterlife through the whole Testament. Wow. You know, and I tell people, I just think of this. God tells Adam and Eve, if you eat of this tree, you'll die. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, if you eat of this tree, you'll die and be tortured for all of eternity, tortured by eaten with maggots and tormented by demons. Right. I mean, that would have been a really good place to pop that in there. Right, if, you know, that was so, a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he didn't start with that. He just said the wages of sin is just death. You just, what happens is you die. Where do you go when you die? You go to Sheol, you go to the grave, the abode of the dead. Mm-hmm. Mistranslated as hell because the word hell is actually added in the eighth century by Germans into mm-hmm. the text. Yeah. So yeah. it literally doesn't even exist in the original Hebrew or Greek, you know? And so when, 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 when people study this, if they actually take the time to study it, Mm-hmm. realize that 
this is not stuff to fear because when Jesus uses the word well, 14 times, which he actually never used the word, he actually used the word Hades and Gehenna, Gehenna. which is a literal valley. But uh, the 12 or 14 times in the New Testament it's used, it's only spoken to Jews. Wow. Because it's mainly dealing, and this goes back to getting your eschatology right. Right. Jesus is mainly warning Jews about what happened in their lifetime if they didn't accept him as the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And that happened in 70 AD when the Romans came to town. They slaughtered 1.3 million Jews, dumped their bodies in the Valley of Hinnom in Gehenna, and set them on fire. Right. So that that literally historically took place for the Jews. And yeah. so, you know, all those words in red, I always tell people Jesus was speaking to Jews, not Jews. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't don't learn from it. It doesn't mean sure. that principles are not there, but he was speaking to a specific people, let alone Paul and the apostles never one time brought up Gehenna mm -hmm. or hell to Gentiles. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I mean, you get to the book of you get to the book of Acts, and Paul says, I have no man's blood in my hands, for I've declared to you the whole counsel of God. But not one time in any of Paul's teachings did he ever bring up hell. He doesn't actually, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, he never he doesn't he never brings up Gehenna, he never brings up any of that. I mean, even 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 uh um uh, uh Peter and John, I mean, they don't, you know, I mean John, you get to the end of the book of Revelation, and he does tell you where Gehenna is thrown into, mm -hmm. and it's thrown right. into the lake of fire and brimstone. But again, to a first century Jew, when Jews were reading, uh, you know, this is one thing people don't understand. You know, like when the book of Revelation was written, mm -hmm. John is in prison, mm -hmm. and he's writing seven churches that, mm -hmm. by the way, are the Romans wrote. Mm -hmm. So when the Roman army started marching, and when they came to Israel in 66, 67 AD, mm -hmm. they had to go through all seven of those Asian cities. Yes. And Nero had started to blame a fire that took out a major portion of Rome. He blamed it on Christians. So right. they started crucifying Christians. So John is writing a letter, and he's warning the seven churches. He's mm -hmm. like, listen, this is what's coming. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nero, the beast. All right. I mean, you know, he's coming with an army. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take you out. But he couldn't write that letter and tell anybody that because they wouldn't let a letter go out of prison without reading it first. Right. So he uses Old Testament apocalyptic language that, by the way, is all found in the Tabernacle of Moses. Almost everything in the book of Revelation you can mm -hmm. find in the Tabernacle of Moses in Thomas right. and Genesis. And because he knew that Jews that read it would totally know what he was talking about. Right. So he's using subversive language. Well, right. Romans, the Roman jailers, they read that stuff. And they're like, this guy's nuts. You know, I mean, he's he's talking about, you know, Godzilla coming out of the sea and and he's talking about monsters coming out of the earth. And, you know, I was like, this is this is some crazy novel. You can just go ahead and send this. Right. You know, this yeah. isn't going to hurt anybody. Right. But to a first century Jew, when they heard that death and Gehenna, mm -hmm. death and hell or the Valley of Hinnom mm -hmm. would be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone mm -hmm. to a first century Jew, the lake of fire was the Dead Sea historically. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, the Dead Sea, up until like 600 years ago, was known for thousands of years to, to literally spontaneously combust and be on fire. Wow. Because it had a higher sulfur content than it does now. Wow. And there's a fault line that went through there. And so, like, you can actually read in secular history, like Persian and Babylonian um, and, uh, you know, Greeks. I mean, anybody that ever invaded Israel, mm -hmm. they actually would go by the Dead Sea and say, this place is a stench. 
And they called it the lake of fire because literally you would see fire in the Dead Sea. So what's interesting is 1.3 million Jewish bodies were thrown into Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, by the Romans. They were set on fire. And through the middle of the Valley of Hinnom is is the Brook Kidron. Mm -hmm. And when it it rains a lot, everything from that valley flows down to the brook. Mm -hmm. And that brook goes out to the Dead Sea. Wow. So death and Gehenna are cast into the lake of fire. Wow. Wow. And so just from a historical background, when you study that, you realize, man, they had a fulfillment in the first century. Mm-hmm. Now, whether there's a spiritual thing in the future on that, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of different ways to look at it. Mm-hmm. But to believe that, you know, God is the one that, and, and, and this is what I tell people, I said, I mean, let's just use some common sense. What a, what a concept. Right. Well, <laughs> all right. Let, let, let's say you're a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. 10 year old Muslim girl mm-hmm. and you're stolen from your family by sex slave traders mm-hmm. and they immediately get you hooked on, on heroin mm-hmm. because that's how they keep them as sex slaves is they keep them stoned and, right. and they, and they, where they need the drugs. Right. And so at 12 years old, you know, your, 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 your body's given away. I mean, you're, you're a sex slave right? and, and it's, it's horrible. And now you're 30 and, you know, you've never heard the name Jesus you're an addict who is used 10, 12 hours a day. And yet when you breathe your last breath, because you didn't say the name Jesus and believe you not only go and you're experiencing more torment, mm-hmm. but you go to the same place. You get the same justice mm-hmm. that the guy that stole you from your parents yeah. and got you hooked on drugs and was your pimp. Yeah. You get the same justice. That's not justice. That's complete injustice. But that's literally how it's been taught. Yeah. Especially since the Reformation. I mean, you know, the the, the truth is when you actually study this, you know, the first 400, 400, 500 years of the church, Mm -hmm. only one of the six schools of theology taught any form of punishment in the afterlife. And it was the school at Carthage. The other five schools of theology all taught some form of like purgatorial restoration. Mm-hmm. All right. So mm-hmm. in some form, the idea of hell was an eternal. Wow. It was, it was a place where you would be restored and, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, ultimately reconciled them back to God. Right. But, but it was Augustine who was from Carthage mm-hmm. who at first, you know, didn't believe it later mm-hmm. on in his life. He changed his belief. Matter of fact, I have a quote from Augustine where he says that um, his view of the afterlife and hell was a minority among his contemporaries. Oh, wow. It was actually in the early 500s under the Emperor Justinian that everything shifted. Mm. Justinian was a huge follower of Augustine. Mm -hmm. And so Justinian, he had all the other five schools of theology shut down, all of their stuff burned. Now, some some stuff made it out because, you know, there were monks and, and priests that, that that ran with some stuff. Right. Uh, but that's why we don't have a lot of writings from during that time, because wow. they had everything burned. Because Justinian, the Roman emperor, said this. He said, only Augustinianism shall be taught in the church wow. because the gospel must be presented with fear and punishment to keep the masses in check. And so, Alta, and, and this is the crazy thing. When when uh, Justinian did that, within six months, the Dark Ages started. Wow. 
historically. Like wow. literally once he shut down the other views mm-hmm. and said, all we're going to do now is just produce fear. The dark ages started. And wow. that's where, that's where, you know, um, the slaughtering of Jews took place. The mm-hmm. crusades took place. The dark ages is where, I mean, you know, people buying indulgences and trying to buy family members. I mean, just the church went in a horrible direction. And that is not what was taught in the first four or 500 years of the church at all. Wow. And so, you know, and, and the truth is people just do a little bit of research and find this. But what I found is most people don't want to do the research. Right. Mainly because we love our hell. Right. Yeah. Don't mess with someone's health. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's sad, but it's a yeah. like. People can't stand the idea that that person that hurt them mm-hmm. isn't going to pay someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And But yet I tell them, if someone hurt you and harmed you, mm-hmm. they do pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, you might not see it, but there's an inner torment when you treat people a certain way. I, I said, you know, people walk through hell while they're here. Right. You know, they, right. They, don't, they don't need to worry about someplace after they die. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that, that's, it, it's just ridiculous to think that, that, that God who is love mm-hmm. thinks justice is punishment is, is torment and punishment. When first John tells us perfect love removes all fear because fear leads to punishment. Right. Exactly. And, and then it goes on to say, and he who still fears and the context is mm-hmm. punishment on judgment day has mm-hmm. not been perfected in love. Yeah. So there's no punishment in love. So the idea of God even being a punisher, we punish ourselves. Sin has built in punishment. When we, when we walk, I mean, the the one thing, you know, it was the Germans that added the word hell Mm -hmm. in the text, but Mm -hmm. the word hell comes from uh, an old Germanic word Mm -hmm. uh, that literally means like to hell a potato, which means like you you dig in the ground, you put the potato in the ground and you cover it. So I like to put I like to put it like this. Anytime you're walking in darkness, mm-hmm. not in the light, you're in hell. There you go. Wow. So in, anytime we're walking in any form of darkness mm-hmm. in our understanding mm-hmm. and how we view ourselves, how we view one another, how we view God, mm-hmm. darkness is a hell in itself. Yeah. But that's why that's why first second Corinthians three says anyone who turns to Christ, the veil is removed, or that which is covering you. Keeping you in darkness is removed. And now you see the light because you now see Christ. And so, you know, those fears Mm -hmm. keep more people trapped than about anything else. I I mean, this is the crazy thing. When I actually started publicly talking about there being no rapture, Mm -hmm. letting people know. Matter of fact, there was no futuristic view of the book of Revelation until the 1600s. Right. Wow. I mean. You know, and, and that was because during the, the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther and the Reformers were teaching the Pope was the Antichrist. Right. So in order, in order to save the Pope's behind, uh, a, a Jesuit monk by the name of Francisco Ribera, he came up with a whole system that put the Book of Revelation for being fulfilled sometime around the 20th century to take wow. the heat off the Pope. So there literally was not a futuristic view of the Book of Revelation of the 1600s. Wow. And then it wasn't until the 1800s that the whole idea, well— there was one or two people in the 1700s that taught a form of like a rapture, mm-hmm. but it was the 1800s with uh, with uh, John Darby yeah. and with uh, uh, the Irvingites, Edward Irving, that mm-hmm. actually was the, kind of the starting of it. That then once, you know, once uh, Dake put it in his Bible and it went out to all the evangelical churches, everybody. Right. I mean, I, I literally grew up thinking that this is 
that nothing else was ever taught. You know, I mean, this is this is what everyone's believed since Jesus. And right. it's like nobody believed it until the 1800s. Right. You know, and, and, and so, you know, it's crazy how when fear steps in, mm-hmm. fear, and this is what I tell people, I said, this is how simple we should be able to live our lives. Right. It's not giving us a spirit of fear. So anything that is producing fear, we should automatically know it's definitely not the new covenant. It's definitely not the gospel. So if it's producing fear in you, run in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it blows me away because that's 95% of everything you see on Christian television. Well, it is. And it's kind oh. of represented as the gospel, right? And so, uh, <laughs> and boy, what a... I, I don't have words, but what a disservice. I mean, it's such a puny way of saying it, but I mean, wow, that just hijacks the whole thing. And so, yeah. And, and, and you have to look at the fruit that, that it bears. Uh, is this, is this bringing the fruit, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy ghost? Is this bringing the fruit? Right. Of the spirit? Is this bringing life more abundant to the full told overflows? No, it's yeah. bringing bondage. Right. Yeah. And is it, is it bringing freedom? Cause it's for right. freedom that we've been set free. Exactly. You know? and, and none of those things bring freedom. Right. Like, exactly. I mean, even even the idea of, OK, uh, let's say there's a rapture and I get to leave. Well, that might make me feel good. Right. But but, but what about my my cousins and my aunts and uncles and, right. and all my friends that they haven't prayed the prayer and they haven't believed? And I'm good. But, you know, um, those poor folks, you know, for you for you attitude is not a Jesus attitude. <laughs> yeah. No, not 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 even close. I mean, so it, <laughs> yeah. it's just absolutely. And I, I can see, you know, I mean, I know for the rest of my life, kind of the clear mandate mm-hmm. on my life is to remove those ideas because the church has been inundated with it without even thinking it through. The, right. This is the thing that that's the thing that saddens me is well, I'll never forget, you know, my my spiritual mama in the faith was Dr. Fuchsia Pickett. Yeah. Mama Pickett was one of the greatest teachers of the 20th century. Brilliant woman. Had four earned doctorates. You know, I'm mean, just brilliant. I, I, I will I will never forget 19, I think about 95, 96, we're sitting in a restaurant. And and I've actually taught this now literally all over the world, you know, everywhere I've traveled. But she said, son, she said, there's three ways we receive revelation from God. She said, the first one is where 90% of most people get revelation, and it's impartation <laughs> from someone else to you. You know, you you hear a sermon, you read a book. But it's coming from someone to you. She said, secondly, is illumination. And that's where you're reading the scriptures and something jumps off the page at you. It becomes illuminated to you. But she said, the third one is pure revelation. And revelation is when God gives you a thought. And then he takes you to the scriptures to explain it. Oh, wow. She said, hardly anybody ever walks in pure revelation because nobody wants to think. And when she said it, I was like, yes, you're right. You know, because I mean, most of these doctrines, if we just apply a little bit of critical thinking. Right. I mean, it's one of the reasons. Right. It's one of the reasons why we're losing so many of our young people once they go to college. Right. Because they get in a philosophy class and the professor destroys this stuff with critical thinking. Right. A lot of them are walking away from the faith. Sure. You know, because they were taught the Bible is inerrant, it's infallible, it has no contradictions. And in one philosophy class, the professor shows them 20 contradictions. Right. You know? yeah. and, and I mean, just in their mind, freaks them out. 
Right. Because, you know, a lot of times we taught them how to be good Biblians rather than good Christians. Right. You know, we taught them how to have a relationship with the book rather than actually with Christ. Person, yeah. and, and then and then they walk away from the faith yeah. because a little bit of critical thinking removes this stuff. I mean, I remember I got in trouble about, a seven, I think, six or seven years ago when uh, there was a, a company from Sweden mm-hmm. and and they they implanted chips in, pe- in the pe- their employees' wrists. Oh, right. Okay. But when they would come to work, all they had to do was do this. Right. And they would check them in and check them out. They didn't have to punch a time clock. It was in the wrist. Right. right. And I remember it was all over Facebook and, and Instagram. Right. Mark of the beast. Basically. Yeah, this is the beginning of the end. Right. You know, it's the mark of the beast. And I got in a bunch of trouble because I went on with a little critical thinking. And I said, okay. I said, number one, in the book of Revelation, it says there's a mark on the wrist and on the forehead, not in. Right. On and in are not the, it's two total different prepositions. Right. right? It's like, right. it's not the same meaning. And I said, not only that, but if the whole world, the whole planet will not be able to buy or sell without mm-hmm. this mark. Mm-hmm. We're either a long way away from that mm-hmm. or we need to rethink it because 60% of the planet doesn't have electricity and running water. Right. That's true. And, and I said, this works in America. It's a good first world theology. I right. said, but not only that, but who's going to go to Papua New Guinea to the islands where there's still headhunters and people who still eat people? All right. I mean, and, and who's going to go to Peru up to the Andes right. Mountains right. and inform tribes who've been trading squash for 4,000 years. Right. All right. right. They can't trade squash anymore unless you stick something in their head or in their body. You're going to have a spear flying right through the window. <laughs> you are. But again, but people don't think this stuff through. Right. You know, it's like, seriously, like, like who's going to go do that? And it's obviously not talking about the whole world because when you actually go to the book Revelation, the word for world there is gi. Uh, you know, in 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 the or, or can I might one of those in the original language, and it's talking about a specific land. It's not talking about the planet. Right. It's, not, it's not the word cosmos. Right. And it was talking about a specific place, which was Israel. Right. right. I mean, it was literally talking about something that happened back then. But the fear that that kind of stuff produces. I mean, right. I grew up my whole life just literally terrified of the last days. So I actually had a young lady. I'll never forget this. I was preaching in a little town in North Texas, and I didn't preach on this. Mm-hmm. I just made a statement. And after the sermon, uh, she was probably, I think, 24, and she had a little little four-year-old son. Mm-hmm. She come to my table, and she said, do you not believe the tribulation is in the future? Of course, I didn't say that at all in my sermon, but I learned a long time ago, they that have ears will hear. Yeah. So she had an ear to hear, because no one else said that. Right. And I said to her, I said, well, actually, no. I said, I believe the great tribulation was the Jewish tribulation between 66 and 70 AD mm-hmm. and the tribulation. Uh, and she said, so you're not pre-trib. I said, I'm not pre-trib, mid-trib or post-trib. I'm past trip. <laughs> I said, the tribulation is in our past. And Thank she you. went, really? And I said, let me ask you a couple of questions. I said, Matthew 24 says, woe to the woman who's pregnant in those days. Mm-hmm. She should pray that it not happen mm-hmm. during the winter right. or on the Sabbath day. Right. And she looked at me and she said, that's the verse. She said, when I got pregnant for my son, she said, that verse terrified me because I was like, how can I run away from the Antichrist during the tribulation? She said, it wasn't until this year, she said, my son turned four and he now can run almost as fast as I can and can run with me. 
She said, but I've been terrified up till this year because now my son, but she said, I don't want to have any more kids. And I said, okay, let me ask you a couple of questions. I said, number one, I said, why would you in North Texas need to worry about the wintertime? I said, not only that, but why would, why would anybody in the Southern Hemisphere, why would anybody in Mexico, Central America, South America, Africa, Australia, most right. of the Southern Hemisphere need to worry about running anywhere in the wintertime because they don't have bad winters. Exactly. And she just looked at me. I said, not only that, but why would you as a Gentile mm-hmm. in the 21st century need to worry about running anywhere on the Sabbath day? Right. We're not under Sabbath laws. Right. Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. And right. I said, not only that, but when you go to Luke 16, which is which is Luke's version of Matthew 24, it also there says when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, right. don't go down. If you're on your rooftop, don't go down in the house, jump off the roof and head for the hills. Right. And 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 I said to her, I said, Have you ever been on your rooftop? She said, I've never been on my roof. I said, Are there any hills by your house? She said, It's flat. I said, Maybe he wasn't talking to you. <laughs> and it was like this big light bulb went on. And I said, maybe he was actually, have more kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, she, she ended up having three or four after that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, literally the fear was gone. Cause oh, I told gosh. her, I said, listen, we don't hang out on our rooftops in America, unless you're like in a big city and you've got right. like one of those flat roofs. But yeah. I mean, in Jerusalem, they hung on the rooftops. I said, Jerusalem is surrounded by seven Hills. I mean, that's one, of, you know, our three, three, three to seven Hills. That's one of the things that make it famous. Right. And I said, he was talking to Jews, not Jews. Yes. And it was like the light bulb you know, went on. But but I, I literally know, I mean, I met, I met an older man and an older woman, a brother and sister who never married. They were in their late 80s when I met them. Mm-hmm. And they never married simply because uh, they didn't want to get married and bring kids into the world where, that they convinced the Antichrist was about to manifest. Wow. And so they've lived their whole life. Wow. Never enjoying marriage and family and everything that goes along with that because of a messed up eschatology, because of fear-based teaching wow. that robbed them of a life. Wow. I mean, it robbed them of it. And yeah. so, you know, the 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 idea that that we would be okay yeah. with with teaching any form of fear, right. it shows me it lets me know immediately that someone does not fully understand the gospel. Yeah. And they don't understand what Jesus came to do, which, according to Hebrews chapter two, mm-hmm. uh, for me is probably one of the most key verses in the Bible that I hardly have everybody talk about. Where the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews two, I think fourteen to sixteen, right in there. But he says this: He said he destroyed Jesus destroyed mm-hmm. him who had the power of death, that is the devil, so that we, who all of our lifetime had been slaves to the fear of death would no longer be afraid. Yeah. So one of the main reasons Jesus came was to free us right. from the fear of death. Wow. That all of our lifetime we've been enslaved to. Yeah. And so anything that causes a fear of death and what will happen in the afterlife, mm-hmm. it's automatically not the gospel. Right. Ding, da, ding, ding. Jesus came for that. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And so I, you know, I've just made up my mind. No matter how many hits I take, I'm willing to be called a, a, a heretic. Mm-hmm. You know, because I know that the heretics of one generation are the heroes of the next. Right. And I have absolutely no problem with that. Mm-hmm. But I also have done the research. Mm-hmm. I put the time in, and 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 anytime someone wants to try to debate me, mm-hmm. uh, I can do it pretty well. Uh, you know, and I can point them to the right stuff, the right scriptures, mm-hmm. uh, the the right teaching. Mm-hmm. Because most of the time, people would rather put their head in the sand yeah. 
and be ignorant about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, it's because we like the idea of God punishing people we don't like. Yeah. Even though we're supposed to love them. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, to me, and I've said this now for years, it's interesting to me that God, Jesus never told us to love his enemies. Mm-hmm. He told us to love our enemies. Yes. And the reason is because he doesn't have any. That's it. And, and how do we know that? Because no greater love is this than a man lay down his life for his friends. Wow. And we know that he laid down his life for everybody. So he only has friends. So he tells us to love our enemies, not his enemies, Yeah. because he doesn't have any. Uh, he, he doesn't look down from heaven and see any enemies at all. All he sees is sons and daughters who have awakened to the fact they're sons and daughters and sons and daughters who are still asleep who don't know who they are. They don't know their identity. And so they're living alienated and separated in their mind from him because no one ever informed them they were sons and that they're beloved from a wonderful father. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. It's not turn or burn. It's not God can't stand you. It's not watch out. The rapture's coming and you better not miss it. And then on top of it, you better, you better. And and listen, I, I love to tell people this. I said, anybody that tells me they really believe in like they intensely believe in the rapture mm-hmm. and eternal punishment. Uh-huh. I have no problem looking them square in the face and saying, I don't believe you. You're a liar. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, yes, I do. I'm like, well, then how come you're not out 24 seven warning people? That's it. I mean, have you knocked on every door in your neighborhood and warned them that right. they're going to be tortured for all of eternity if they don't repent? And how is that the abundant life? I mean, right. how, how am I going to enjoy the abundant life going, going, taking my granddaughters to a movie? Mm-hmm. And I'm con- and being convinced that 90% of the people sitting in that movie, if a, if a shooter came in with a, a machine gun and started shooting at us all, that 90% of them would immediately be burned and tortured yeah. forever and ever. And I don't stand up and, and warn them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And and I tell people, I said, at least the street preacher that goes out eight hours a day with a bullhorn and uh-huh. screams repent, at least he believes it. Yeah. You know, and I don't agree with it, but at least... I got respect. So he's doing something. Yeah. Right. But the person that say they believe it. And and then I also like to say this, Catherine, I'm like, if you're not out warning people all the time. Yeah. And why isn't the Holy Spirit then on the inside of you gnawing at you? Right. To warn everybody you meet. I mean, either we're that cold Mm -hmm. and our hearts are that hard, which I don't believe they are. Right. uh, Or it's just not real. Not a thing. (laughs) Yes. Maybe that's why I don't wake up in the morning and the Holy Spirit tells me, you got to go warn your neighbor. You got to warn your neighbor. And then when I go to the grocery store, you got to tell everybody, you got to tell everybody. Because you think if eternal torment is real, mm-hmm. yeah. that we should be warning everybody. Right. Exactly. And if if we're not, that's pretty cold. I mean, that's that's, that's like you're, you're a pretty cold individual. If you know that and you believe it, yeah. you're not you're not telling everybody that you run into. And the reason we're not, and the reason we don't feel this conviction to continually do that, because mm-hmm. it's not real. Yeah. It, is a, it is a man-made doctrine mm-hmm. that has absolutely been there to produce fear mm-hmm. and to keep people from walking in li- life and love mm-hmm. and in the abundant life that God's called us to. That's- because once fear is removed, perfect love steps in and perfect love changes everything. That's, that is gorgeous. Because oh. once that happens, then you're marked by love. 
Yay. Might be a I, had, I had to throw that in there for you. That's great. But that's true. I mean, that is, wow, that is, that is so gorgeous. I have a question for you. Yeah. Because you were talking about um, hell. Yeah. Not full of fire. Heaven full of fire. How do you understand or do you understand? Is it a mystery? Um, fire in heaven. What What does that mean to you? And if you don't know yet, that's fine too. But just yeah, no. Well, I, mean, I, I think you know the idea of God being a consuming fire. Thank you. Yeah, is that that's how I, that's how I was taking it. So I'm just wondering right. if I was thinking about it right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that and that you know fire, uh, it's a fire of His love because He's love. And and I, I'd like I, I like to explain it like this: from about twelve or thirteen years old till nineteen. I ran from God, from church, from the call of God. I mean, I knew I was called. I knew I couldn't get away from it. I mean, I'd sit around getting stoned with my friends, telling them they're going to see me preach on TV someday. I mean, I knew I was called to preach and I knew I couldn't get away from it because I'd be miserable. Right. But I was running as hard as I could because I didn't want nothing to do with church. Wow, wow, wow. I can't hear you. <laughs> right. That's exactly it. Okay. But, <laughs> that's exactly. But, but, but the one thing and how I explain eternal torment to people. Uh, you know, because even even the word eternal torment or eternal punishment, right. aeonius colossus is the Greek phrase. It's mm-hmm. actually age enduring correction. You know, mm-hmm. the, the word for judgment or even torment, colossus, mm-hmm. in Greek culture was only used for the pruning of a branch to bring forth more fruit. So it was it, it was never for it was never for destruction, is what it was. Wow. But you know, the explanation I like to give is I hated from 13 to 19, I hated going home. Oh, I'd get out of school. I'd go home. I uh, I would you know take a shower or get on my bike or change my clothes, leave as quick as I could, go to one of my friends' houses, mm-hmm. you know, uh, go out and play sports. Uh, you know, by the time I was driving, it was just I'd be gone back home at midnight. I just didn't like being home because I would walk in the door, my mom would nearly always be in the kitchen, and she'd be in there praying in tongues. Mm-hmm. And I knew my mom was praying for me all day because oh, my wow. parents were very concerned about me. Okay, yeah. and so. You know, then she'd want to give me a big hug and kiss me, but I was resisting their love. And so when I was in their home at my house, I was tormented mm. because when someone is loving you and you're resisting it, yeah. love is tormenting. It is. And so the idea even of God who is love bringing torment into somebody, you know, I believe the moment we breathe our last breath, absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. Whether you're righteous or unrighteous, I mean, Paul says we're, we all stand before God. I don't believe I don't believe that we now die and go into the grave and we're waiting for Judgment Day. All right, that that was old covenant. All right, the moment you die now, the grave has been closed. All right, Jesus shut hell down. All right, he emptied it out, shut the door from the inside. All right, he has the keys. So I tell people all the time, you know, I mean, my my book on on biblical myths, the last myth, myth number seventy, is God doesn't send people to hell; they send themselves. Mm-hmm. And I and 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 what I said, I said the reason this is a myth mm-hmm. is because nobody can send themselves somewhere they don't have keys to. Right. <laughs> I mean, let me in. Let me in. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, how do you send yourself? And and the only reason we say that is because <laughs> hell is so is so vexing to us. Yeah. That and that we can't comprehend our loving Savior sending anybody to hell. So we say, oh well, God don't send people to hell; they send themselves by not believing. Let's say, but wait a minute, how can you send yourself somewhere? without keys because Jesus is the only one that has the keys of death and hell, death in the grave. So he closed the grave. No one has died in 2000 years. 
Mm-hmm. All right. The, the moment you breathe your last breath, you don't go to the grave anymore, absent from the body of present with the Lord. Lord. But when you stand before God, those mm-hmm. of us that have received his love, mm-hmm. that fire, that river of fire that flows from that throne, mm-hmm. it's cleansing. It's mm-hmm. as Paul said in Corinthians, he said, we all will go through the fire. He mm-hmm. said, it will, it will bring cleansing. It will bring purging. Mm-hmm. And he said, it will burn away the wood, the hay, the stubble, but you won't be burned. He said, so this, this fire that comes from God won't consume You're you, fine. Mm-hmm. but it, it, right, it burns everything away. Yeah. Unlike him. Yes. And, 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 and it's refreshing to the believer, to the unbeliever mm-hmm. that have resisted his love. It's tormenting mm-hmm. because they've resisted that love. But then it burns everything away. It cleanses everything. I mean, even even the idea, I mean, I love what the Eastern Orthodox Church mainly teaches, because in Revelation, when it says death and hell are cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, the word brimstone is the Greek word theon, mm-hmm. and it's translated in Second Peter 3 as divine nature. Mm-hmm. And so you can literally say the lake of fire and divinity. Wow. Right? So Because God is the lake of fire, God is divinity, and he consumes death. Mm-hmm. And he consumes the grave, wow. you know, and, and, and burns it all up. And then, then you stand before nothing but pure love and pure fire Yay. And you're cleansed and purged. Now Beautiful. I leave room in my theology mm-hmm. for, you know, someone like uh, uh, Charles Manson, mm-hmm. you know, to still give God the finger mm-hmm. after all that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then I, I would probably have a little bit of, of conditionalism or annihilationism mm-hmm. that that person would then perhaps be just destroyed Mm-hmm. Uh, and like cease to exist, mm-hmm. uh, even though, you know, I mean, I don't fully embrace that, but I leave room because I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, I, I believe that once everyone has had all the wrong ideas of God cleansed away, mm-hmm. all of the wrong views of God they got from Christianity, mm-hmm. all of the pain they experienced, mm-hmm. and they're standing as a spirit and soul that's been purged and cleansed before pure love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure anybody's not going to say Jesus is Lord and bend their knee. I, I agree. And I, you know, one of the things that I believe that, that fire, uh, the fires of God, the fires of love are healing is, is a broken will that resists uh, love that resists, and, and that also resists. Cause if you're created in the image and likeness of God, you're created in the image like likeness of love, truth, and light. Yes. And so when you're resisting it, you're resisting actually who you are. How many, how long in eternity can any one human being hold out against pure love? That's also burning away. Right. And I, so that, which, which, you know, not to be dogmatic, but gives you a lot of hope for the Charles and the Adolf Hitlers. And I don't know, that's God's business. We know he's exactly all of that. Um, Well, and, 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 and the truth is this, all right. We don't have any scripture in the Bible. Mm-hmm. that says your last breath is your last opportunity to hear yes. and believe. But yes. we have at least in the New Testament, I mean, John 5, mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus said that the, that the gospel would be preached to the dead and they would hear and right. rejoice. Right, right. What, what does that mean? I mean, who's preaching the gospel to the dead? I mean, I mean, right. the early church, I mean, you know, you go to 1 Corinthians 15, mm-hmm. the famous resurrection chapter where Paul's saying, that, you know, if there's no resurrection, no reason to preach the gospel. Right. He also goes on in there and he says, if there's no resurrection, he said, then why are you being baptized for the dead? There's no reason for you to be baptized for the dead. Because the early church actually had a a practice that if they had family members who had died Mm -hmm. before being baptized or before receiving Christ, Mm -hmm. that they could be baptized in proxy. Right. Oh, for for a family member. All right. So they literally, 
They literally were being baptized in the water for dead loved ones. Wow. And that was in the first 200 years of the church. Not not, wow. not when things got crazy after the year four or 500. Right. We're talking, that was an early church practice. Wow. You know, matter of fact, in my series on, on, on what the hell, on my e-course, I go into that the first few hundred years of the church, um, one of the reasons they met underground and in catacombs and in caves and out in graveyards is because they actually believed that where the dead were, they were still a part of the cloud of witnesses. And so they would have their Eucharist services where dead bodies were so that the rest of the body of Christ in their area wow. that had passed on could be a part. Wow. I'm like, I'm like, can you imagine a pastor getting up in America you on a Sunday saying, now next Sunday, oh, right. we're going to go have communion at the graveyard. That's I mean, crazy. people would lose their mind, but that was a practice wow. in the early church. Wow. You know? and so, you know, so much of this, we just, we just don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and once the fear is removed, Mm-hmm. And and you begin to 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 see the the life yeah. that Christ really wants us to have, and and you stop freaking out about all this stuff, and 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 that's why I tell people I said you know I call myself a hopeful mm-hmm. uh, inclusionist. Mm-hmm. I believe what Jesus did was for all of humanity, yeah. and I'm hopeful mm-hmm. that at the end mm-hmm. all will joyfully declare. Mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that there you know I mean even even according to Second Peter. Uh, you know, he said that, uh, you know, people under the old covenant had a second opportunity. They had an opportunity to hear the gospel after death because Jesus yeah. went into the grave mm-hmm. and preached to the captives and emptied yeah. it out. So so the crazy thing is under the law, people got a second chance. But now under grace, under <laughs> a new and a better covenant with better blood right. and better promises. Sorry, last right. breath, last right. opportunity. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it just it doesn't. And realizing that God's love is constantly pursuing us and his mercy endures forever. Yeah. It, it doesn't endure to your last breath. And, and of course the only verse that even comes close to putting that in there mm-hmm. is, is the one used at every funeral in Hebrews mm-hmm. chapter nine. It is appointed unto man mm-hmm. once to die mm-hmm. after that, the judgment. Mm-hmm. But then we don't read the rest of the verse. I've never hear the rest of the verse quoted. Yeah. There's a comma. And then it goes on to say, even so Christ died. In other words, our judgment's not in our future because right. he went to the cross as man. It says it's appointed to man, not men. Right. All right. There's only ever been two men on the planet. There was the first man, Adam, and the last man, Jesus. All right. Wow. And so he went to the cross as the first man, died, went into the grave, rose as the last man. And 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 I've said this for years. I said when Jesus showed up, he doubled the population because there was only ever two men on the planet in God's mind. There was a first man and a last man. Only two men ever been on the planet because everybody was uh, was in, in one of those men. In Christ, yeah. Right, in a many-membered body, one man with a many-membered body. And so, you know, that that, that shouldn't really be that confusing to people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to realize that that people were either in Adam or they were, they were in Christ, mm-hmm. all right? And so once you realize what Jesus did, he took care of all that. His judgment was our judgment, we don't, even in the afterlife, he's still pursuing us yeah. because it's what every parent would do. Of every parent would continually to pursue their child, regardless of what they're in. And, and, and again, what that looks like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not dogmatic about it because I a hundred percent don't really know. And truth is none of us do, of uh, course. you know, I'm hopeful about it. That's why I tell people, I believe, and, and this is the crazy thing. I was in a church in Ohio and I, I mentioned that. Mm-hmm. But there may be an opportunity after death. 
right. to hear and believe. Right. I had this couple come up to me in their late seventies sobbing. They came up oh. to my table and, and they're like, you know, you have no idea. And I was like, what's going on? They're like, when we did, we did not accept Jesus till we were in our late fifties and both of our parents had already died. Mm-hmm. And so for the last 20 years, we've been tormented Wow! because, because we were told yeah. that because our parents never prayed this prayer, that yeah. they were burning in hell. Yeah. And they said, you gave us such hope and peace mm-hmm. by saying there may be yeah. an opportunity in the afterlife. So I said to him, I said, okay, you had two theologies taught to you. Mm-hmm. One produced fear mm-hmm. and terror and no hope. Mm-hmm. The other one gave you hope. And, and, and remove fear. Yeah. Which one's the gospel? <laughs> wow. wow. I mean, it's it's just literally that simple. I mean, it's like, really? this is not complicated. Mm-hmm. And so it's amazing how when you take the time to study this stuff out, and I really encourage people, you know, I mean, if, if you, I mean, there's a bunch of good books out there. I, I mean, I tell people, uh, John Noe's book, Hell Yes, Hell No. I read that one. Of yeah, yeah one of the best books, it. <laughs> right? It's one of the best books out there that really lays it out. Mm-hmm. But uh, my e-course, I really go into a lot of historical detail on sick. where did a lot of this stuff come from. You know what I mean? Like right. our ideologies of punishment, even right. in the afterlife. Where where does all that come from? Because it's not in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, Job said that the grave is a place of rest and peace from your enemies. You know, I mean, if it's a place of rest and peace, that don't sound like a place of torment to me. Yes. You know, it actually doesn't sound like that bad of a place to go to, you know, that's where all this, yeah, it's, that's why all the fear-based stuff is completely, uh, I believe, hijacked Yeah, and because the gospel got hijacked in the 500s. It, it, it did. It did. Yeah. And, 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 but we're, we're coming back. <laughs> we're, we're recovering. Thank yep. you, Jamie, for spearheading so much of that. That's so amazing. So where can they find your, where, where do they go to, to find these e-courses? How do they connect with you? Yeah. Yeah. They can go to my, my website, either himconnect.net mm-hmm. or connectinternationalministries.com. Both of them will take you to the same place. Uh, connectinternationalministries.com or him, H-I-M, connect. Dot net and uh, right on the yeah right yeah right on the homepage uh right on the homepage scroll down a little bit and it says e-courses sign up you click on those and right now I've got I think six of them uh there's the one on hell one on last days uh one on the gospel and I go over the seven dimensions of the gospel seven things called the gospel in the New Testament the gospel of God the gospel of Christ the gospel of the dear son the gospel of Paul the gospel of peace, the gospel of grace, and the gospel of the kingdom. So all of them are the gospel, but there's it's multidimensional. It's bigger than just the kingdom or bigger than just grace or bigger than just one thing. Um, and I go over in detail. There's like five and a half hours on that. But then there's one on how to understand the Bible. Uh, and that one I walk people through on just how to actually study properly, context, type, symbol, shadows. Uh, that's almost six hours on that. And then there's one on the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, I call it the gifts of the gifts of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and I uh, go over fivefold ministry. I go over all the different uh, giftings in Scripture and walk people through all that. Um, yeah, fun stuff. And then I'm getting ready to put one out. Uh, hopefully, in the next six months, I should have two of them. One out on why why Jesus had to die. It's on mm-hmm. different atonement theories, wow. and it's bigger than just forgiving us for our sin. It's so much bigger than that. Um, and then. 
Uh, and I don't know if it's going to be this year or next year, uh, but I've spent the last five years studying the devil and demons. Uh, where does wow. all this stuff come from? Uh, and it's it's shocking, a, a lot of our ideas of Satan and Lucifer and where all that stuff comes from. And it's it's not as clear uh, as we think. I mean, early uh, you know, early Jews and ancient Judaism actually taught that Satan or the devil was ego. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, that it wasn't a being because the word Satan or devil is nearly always a verb. Wow. Uh, and so, yeah, it's more of an action. So it's just interesting stuff. So I'm, I'm going to be putting more of those up. Yeah, but once people once people sign up on the e-course, because you can't download it, you put in a username and password, and once you purchase it, you can go back and watch it as many times as you want. Nice. Uh, but then, uh, you know, I'm my goal is to have the next five six years, about twenty of them up on on different subjects. So uh, that's a clearly a clearly right you you have a lot to share. That's amazing. So that's yeah. wonderful. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Wow, I I totally enjoyed it. I'm like. Yay. I'm going to have to check out those courses too, because there's a lot you said that I actually haven't heard. So I love it. So thank yeah. you so much. Appreciate it. Well, and I, and I apologize. I kind of, I'm a machine gun once I get going there. <laughs> oh, it's good though. I'm, I'm taking it in. I'm, I'm got, got the, got the pipes open to receive the, the fire hose. So there we go. There we go. Absolutely. So, well, thank you so much, Jamie. It's always thank a you. joy. So thank you. And I hope you will come back again because I know you've got more to ch- share and uh, I'll be putting all the links there so people can uh, go and sign up for those courses because they're totally yes. amazing. It's life-changing. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Appreciate that. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. And everybody share this. People need to hear this. They they need that. They they just They just need to know that they're loved and that they don't need to be afraid and they run towards God instead of away from him. So. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you. All right. Everybody, you share this. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Perspectives with Catherine Toon. For additional information and resources, please visit catherinetoon.com.